Hello and welcome to the LDS Mission Cast, a podcast to educate and inspire in the great cause of missionary work. This is your host, Nick Galetti. This week's episode features James Goldberg. He's here to talk about a cool new project he's working on with the Church History Department and the Church History Library, something that can be a fun tool for those preparing or even those that have come back from missions. He also shares some of his experience serving a mission in what used to be East Germany and teaching people who overcame the religious persecutions that were in a place under communist rule. He has some really fun stories to share. After that, we have Corey Andrews as our guest in our Latter-day Lives segment with Sean Rapier. For those of you that don't listen to the Latter-day Lives podcast yet, repent! But Sean just released his 52nd episode to mark his one-year mark for the Latter-day Lives podcast. That's one year every Monday putting out a new podcast. It's not an easy thing, folks. His guest on that episode was Corey Andrews, which some of you might know as the founder of High Five Live on Facebook. He has some great mission stories of his own that he shares here, but you want to go check out his full interview at Latter-day Lives podcast, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes for this episode. So stick around after the interview that I do with James Goldberg for that. But for now, here is my interview with James Goldberg. So sitting in studio with us, we have our special guest, James Goldberg, who is here, I don't know if we could say on behalf of the Church History Department, but he works for the Church History Department, and he's here to talk to us about this very cool project that the Church History Department has been put together that's available for missionaries, as well as his unique experiences in his own life as a missionary. So thank you, James, for coming on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Let's get a little bit of background on you. As uh, I, I first met you a few years back when we interviewed you about your book, Five Books of Jesus. How's that coming along? I noticed a new book review just came out after <laughs> I don't know how many years. years. Here's a book review yeah, on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a a writer uh, of novels and poems and plays and essays, and it's been fun to sort of see the afterlife. They have five books of Jesus is my novelization of the Gospels, and it's a book that I think is readable and kind of puts you in the cultural world of that time, and a lot of people I've talked to find that they read it and get excited to dive into the scriptures again yeah, and notice things they hadn't before. So that's been fun. And and I think, you know, my work with church history, there's there's some overlap where what I've been interested in is telling stories in a way that's accessible and can also, I don't know, give you a different sense of what different people's experience is like and get excited to know more. You used to teach creative writing at BYU. That's true. Yep. Which means that now that we've said that, everybody's going to expect everything you say to be brilliant and, <laughs> and well, well written, kind of well composed thoughts. No, I, I the idea though of of telling stories that's become so much a part of what it means to be a member of the church. We obviously have testimony meetings, we have lessons where we talk about teaching and, and sharing stories, and when we get into the, what we're going to talk about here in a little bit. That's really what this is about, right? We're crafting stories that help inspire people. Right. In, inspire and connect, right? Yeah. Stories become an important way that we just have this very small amount of time together sometimes, right? And through stories, you can almost build up the relationship and the trust of that normally it would have taken, you know, months and years of spending time with someone, right? Yeah. If if we compress it down through this sort of unique human ability to tell stories where we're able to do something that's that's really impressive. 
You served a mission. Where did you serve your mission? I served my mission in what was first the Leipzig Germany mission. It was combined with the Berlin Germany mission while I was there. And so at the time I served by the end of my mission that covered the the former East Germany. It's just part of Germany now, but for many years it was a an independent separate communist country and really an interesting place. You know, I had a reputation for being one of the harder missions. Uh, well, everybody likes in the to world. say that. Oh, come on. But, no, just uh, <laughs> but just in terms of... Well, there's a lot of cultural challenges yep. in that. So what were yep. some of the ones but, that you faced that were you, you would be able to well, say were unique? I mean, one of the things you've got to understand about the people there... So I knew people who had lived through five different currency systems, right? <laughs> okay. Because yeah. they'd been around before the Second World War with one currency that then... You know, inflation went crazy. Maybe you've seen pictures of people with wagon loads of money to buy a loaf of bread (laughs) kind of thing, right? Then during World War II, there'd been a currency. Under the communists, there was a currency. After Germany reunified, there was a currency. In Europe, there was one. And each time they lost money, right? Every time they had to switch (laughs) currency. So you get a sense when people have been through a lot of things, when people have been through Nazis and communists who had big dreams for how to make the world better and it did not pan out, you get a little bit cynical. Yeah. Right? Um, it was a That's hard, a very soft way of putting Nazism is not panning out. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> did, just didn't, right. They missed their time. They, <laughs> well, in communism too, right? Those, those were both things, though, that came in. And I, I knew people who talked about, right? remembering the rise of Hitler and the sense of hope that for a lot of Germans who'd been through things before that that initially, rep- I mean, obviously some from the beginning didn't, <laughs> were didn't terrified, yeah. but, but a lot of people felt hopeful with communism. A lot of people felt like that was a good dream in both cases was a very painful, difficult life experience, right? Yeah. And so you come through and people are approaching things. Well, even, you know, one other disappointment we should talk about is the disappointment of Germany reunifying when the wall came down, everybody celebrated, right? Because they weren't going to get thrown in jail for telling the wrong joke anymore. But it could be really bewildering. I, I remember people talking about the first time they went to a store and there's 20 different brands of everything. It's just overwhelming, right? They'd cry because they'd think, oh my gosh, we can't go back. <laughs> yeah, right? right. This is the world we have to live in now. And a lot of people from the West came and said, oh, there's these gullible Easterners who just... They, they grew up in this more sort of enclosed world. They trust everybody. And a lot of people from the West really ripped them off, mm. right? We're just dishonest. So when you're going door to door, right? Right. Here are people who have been, and coming to understand that over the course of my mission, right? I got a different appreciation for that. I got a different appreciation for the members as I'd hear the stories, yeah. right? Back to that theme of story of what they went through, Right. There was one woman I remember her telling the story of when her son got baptized and it was in a period where the government was kind of cracking down on churches more. And so they drove out of town, turned off the headlights so nobody could see where they were going to go baptize him in this lake. And they just flipped on the headlights to perform the ordinance, right? Then flipped them back (laughs) off, came back into town. It's a totally different experience. Totally different world. I used to not pray at all in restaurants, but when I heard a story of a guy who said he remembered praying, he always prayed before his meals, even in a restaurant. And then one time he saw his boss, right? 
and he knew that if his boss saw him praying, he wasn't going to get promoted, right? Oh, it was wow. seen as religion was backward. You should be you secular. should be an atheist. Not just secular, but under communists, an atheist. Okay. And, um, but he thought about Daniel and said, oh. I'd be a hypocrite not to pray now. And I thought, man, if he was willing to pray when his job was on the line, maybe I should make this a habit, yeah. right? So, you know, in my mission, one of the problems the mission president had talked to us about early is there can be a breakdown of trust between members and missionaries, especially in a place where people are kind of more cynical and need some sure. time in a conversion process, but missionaries want everybody to be fast, yeah. right? Yeah. And we needed to heal that rift, right? Okay. And become one church again. Yeah. And so that was part of my missionary experience is personally coming to appreciate members' strength and their experience, coming to be sympathetic with investigators' life experience, how that would change the way they related to the gospel, the questions they had. Well, that's a question yeah. of authority too, right? Because right. when when we're talking about the church, we're talking about prophetic priesthood authority. Right. And and, and being, they've heard some things about authority before. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be very scary yep. for sure. Well, and a lot of them were taught in schools, right? Churches only want your money. So when law of tithing comes up, you really have to prep them right. to say, let's have a conversation about this. But they've had this sort of built-in concern, right? Yeah. Well, and I, I want to ask, and I hope this isn't insensitive, but Goldberg, you have a Jewish background. Right. What type of impact did that have as you're serving in Germany during this this time period where people were right. healing from so that. So my, my dad's side of the family, I've got some Jewish ancestry. I got mixed ancestry myself, but it was interesting, right? Having a name tag with Goldberg. Yeah. So that that was a very visible part of my identity. And I did get a chance to talk to, <laughs> it kind of varied because sometimes I'd talk to Jews who were still in Germany from the persistent Jewish community or a lot of Russians after the Soviet Union right. fell came to Germany as well as Israel and had kind of a different experience, and they'd end up talking to me. Uh, I also had experiences, I mean, one I remember really well where this younger guy, you know, in his 20s, not that much older than me, kind of felt this need to confess his neo-Nazi past to me, right? He just felt <laughs> bad about the things he'd believed as a young man, and and we kind of but talked through that. But he at least apologized that. And, for it. Yeah, I mean, so it was an interesting experience, being there, I got to go to the Museum of uh, Jewish History in Berlin, where they've got just a beautiful museum, not only commemorating the Holocaust and what happened there, but sort of the long cultural legacy of Jews in Germany and Eastern Europe before that. So, yeah, it was definitely that that was an interesting part of the experience as well. Let's switch gears now to talking about this project that you're involved with at the Church History Department. And if any of our listeners are with us, why don't you go ahead and open your Gospel Library apps, and we'll we'll kind of get you over to this project while we're we're talking about it. But this is essentially a project of global history, we're global stories. And what else can you tell yeah, us so, about this? So when you go into the Gospel Library app, go ahead and scroll way down to Church History, almost at the bottom, and then it looks like it's the third row, and that is this brand new Global Histories initiative. We just started publishing these, so we're at an early point. But the concept of this is that for different countries or sometimes regions where there's a church presence, we give a very brief overview 
of the church in that country first, then a chronology of some significant events that gives you a sense of how long has the church been in that country? What's happened? What are some of the milestones? And then maybe my favorite part, right? If you click into each one, you've got the stories of faith header that will then lead you to a couple different, very short, easy to read stories about individual members in that country that are you know, we try to be representative of maybe different periods in the church's history, sometimes cover different regions within the country or different cultural experiences, maybe different religions, uh, characters who came from different religious and cultural backgrounds into the church. But to just give you in a very short, you know, between all the stories, maybe 2,000 words, right? That's um, like six minutes to read. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, that's great. It's very simple, but to give you sort of a cr- quick crash course in that bridge, right? What is their experience like? What is their culture, right? So I'm looking at, at France now, right? Um, yeah, because we, we have, right now as of the recording, there's five countries. France, right? Italy, Japan, Lithuania, and Poland. Obviously, there's more to come. Right. Uh, on every month, I think you'll be seeing more and more okay. countries added. That'll be a regular, ongoing release function. Okay. Because we have many more drafted, right, that are just in that publication process now. But yeah, just just glancing quickly in the stories in France, we've got a sense of the very early beginning in the 1800s. We've got sort of a profile of Louis Bertrand, who's a fascinating early convert, is there were the early French, now they call them communalists, right? So this is not Marxist communism, but the idea of creating these communes, somebody was really interested in that and moved then from that sort of political sphere to when he learned about the church being excited about, okay, here's another way. A Zion kind of commune, right? The Zion idea spoke to his, he had a sense of what the problems were. And one thing I think, the gospel answers a lot of questions in different generations and countries. We have different ways of phrasing what those questions are, right? Okay, yeah. But here's somebody who felt out the questions about how as people can we relate, what what's going to be fulfilling to us and to him, those teachings on Zion and the, the gospel were really a great answer and wholeheartedly embraced it. So you got an interesting story from him. Some talk about sort of the early 20th century as the church. You know, there were a lot of political barriers to the church getting established in the yeah. 1800s. 1900s, some of those were lifted. It began to be established. I love the stories. Of, you got one uh, on building a temple, which is relatively new, right? Right. The temple's quite new. The World War II stories are fascinating. The, the Paris branch there weren't any male members who were there during the time of occupation, right? Right. So it's uh, the branch secretary was Evelyn Kleinert, the sister who held things together for several years and uh, was doing things. I just found out, independent of this story, that she was in touch with one member. She was writing to members who could not attend church. One of them, it's because she'd gone underground and was active in the resistance, right? Okay. Uh, You know, different problems. uh, You're not seeing that problem today. They're not the same way. Um, We've got another story after a lot of... uh, There were a lot of French people who'd been born in Algeria when it was a French colony. At one time, 10% of the population of Algeria was ethnically French. Okay. And when Algeria had its War of Independence, they sort of left en masse, right, where 
you know, the conditions were such that they most weren't able to remain in Algeria, uh, but then kind of stigmatized in France. Maybe like Vietnam vets were in the United okay, States, right? Because yeah. they were associated with this thing. And many of them, right, the church, you're in that unsettled period of life, right? And thinking a little more deeply, less complacent. Um, so a lot of them, they had this nickname... It was kind of a negative nickname of Pied Noir. They were called Black Feet for whatever reason, having come up mm. uh, out of Algeria. And a lot of them, uh, including uh, Bishop Cosse's parents, joined the church from that experience, right? So again, in a very short format, you're getting a sense of what are these people, what have they gone through, right? As, as a missionary, I don't know, I remember being young and you go out and it sort of feels like the world began with you. <laughs> Yeah. And I think one advantage of the mission experience is you learn over the course of it that that's not true. Right. Right? And that there's been a lot of experience before you, and you learn some respect for that, and you learn to build off that and that previous strength. And I hope that, again, getting these stories first can kind of prime you to hear and understand members' stories when you get there. Right. So and, as a missionary, you, you're you suggesting that they go and they look at these stories, and of course, as the countries yep. roll out, they can have a better understanding of what the lived experience is of the people that they're going to teach. That's right. And the, and the missionary legacy you're a part of, right? Here are the different converts through generations, what they've done. Here's what missionaries have done. Here's where you step into that specific legacy. And yeah, here's what the members you're going to act with. And in some cases, their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents generation yeah. went through. I, I was actually kind of interested myself to see that, you, that one of the first countries was Lithuania because my grandmother yeah. comes from Lithuania. Oh, and, interesting. But I don't know much of my family history from there. And I, for that matter, I didn't even know the church was all that relevant in Lithuania. So the right. fact that it was one of the top countries here to, to get started on is going to be an interesting read for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For family history, too, that's a good resource. Lithuania is an interesting country because— um, the German mission in the early 1900s extended into places that are now part of Lithuania, okay. right? Borders have changed and those things. So the first members in what is now Lithuania are from the very, I think like 1909 or something. Wow, okay. you know, it's been a while since I, I worked on that one. So you have this sort of early branch history, right, that then is lost. And then the church is reestablished. And I know some Lithuanian members were really interested to hear about. They didn't know much about those early days, right? Because sure. there wasn't living memory between the two. And it was kind of a fun discovery even for them. Yeah. Uh, and that's something I think I've noticed in many places that we don't necessarily know our own local history all the time, right? Unless you um, live in Utah. And then that yeah, seems to be pretty well you documented. Might be, I mean, it, it may be well documented, but I moved into American Fork and didn't know. I didn't know, for instance, until recently, they were the first um, The first time the Tabernacle Choir went on tour. That was their first stop, right? <laughs> there you uh, go. Big Just tour. little things yeah. that you wouldn't necessarily think about. So I think even, even to find out a local history, it's interesting. And certainly Lithuania is one where that there's been a lot of history in that country and it's intersected with church history in yeah. in ways that would be good to know about as you start serving a mission. Yeah, as you start serving a mission, you connect with family members. Any part right. of this is actually valuable because we get to see that uh, the the gospel travels the world and right. meets different people at different times and sometimes it's a more seasoned generations of the church, and sometimes it's not. Yeah, a little fresher. Yeah, so sometimes even just learning these simple histories can do a lot to helping us teach better, to yeah. 
connect with other people better. Well, and in the school of the prophets, right, the the doctrine and covenants is they were giving instructions for how to train the very first missionaries to go out, especially as they were preparing for the first international missions, right. which would be after the Kirtland Temple. One of the things they hoped is we're going to build a temple so we can be endowed with power that will enable us to take the gospel to the world. It's right. overwhelming. Right. But one of the things it said is, right, study countries, right? Learn about the world, and that's going to enable you to take the gospel to the world in, in a different way, presumably, right, with more empathy, more ability to connect with what people are going through. And now we have a different ability as a church, right? We're more, more developed, more established, sure. an ability to provide some resources to help missionaries do that. Well, this approach, using these, these histories, is great for missionaries, especially those that have these countries listed. But right. it's actually not a bad idea no matter where you go. I know when I went to Louisiana, which a right. lot of people joked was a foreign country, and it felt feels that way. Right. But when I got there, I remember thinking that there were a group of missionaries or this sense of everybody else was backwards. They The way that they did things right. was so not how we do it, therefore they're backwards. Yep. And for a good portion of the mission, I would hear these stories of Oh, this is how weird they were. This is a, instead right. of coming to the understanding, these are just people that have a lived experience that's different than my own. Right. And the quicker I come to appreciate and love them for that lived experience, the the more I was able to connect with the people that I was teaching. I found greater success as a missionary right. when I appreciated where they were coming from rather than just dismiss it as different. Right. You know, Doctrine and Covenants 4 says humility qualifies you for the work, right? That's yeah. one of those virtues that's listed that, you know, is as basic, you know, day one when they were thinking about how do we how do we share this? And I do think, you know, you can say in the abstract, I want to be humble, but a very specific way to learn humility is to to bring this attitude to the way you think about the culture and the history of the people you're teaching. And it's so easy, right, to come in and we can see what seems weird about another culture. I remember we used to play a game with missionaries in Germany. There'd be German beliefs that to us are kind of strange, like they wouldn't like two windows being open and a draft coming through that think, oh, you're going to get sick for sure, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and you can make fun of that, but it also makes you reflect and go, I wonder which things I am convinced are true, right, that make no sense. <laughs> right. And really, you know, who knows? And so I think doing those overt kinds of exercises to say, how can I make myself gain a greater appreciation for others? How can I be humble about my own background? That's not just a, a nice added exercise. That's That's fundamental to what the Lord has told us we need to do to be effective as we enter into a service, right? If you have desires to serve God, right. learn humility, learn diligence, and you'll be able to serve. Yeah. Well, let's get back to this project. I'm curious where these stories came from. Is this just archive items that you guys are kind of repurposing, or where did these stories come from? Yeah. Um, the answers are pretty varied okay. because it's a big world and we have different source types and things. The archives are definitely, I mean, I work in the church history library where we keep archives, but those archives sometimes are going to be, you know, here's mission minutes from past missions. Oh, okay. Sometimes they're going to be old church news items. Sometimes there are uh, other newspapers that happen to cover a Mormon. There's an oral history program that the church history department has run for many years where they go and interview members about their experience. Wow. That's been really invaluable to us. Sometimes we do follow-up interviews. 
for the more contemporary stories where where we still have living participants uh, to make sure we know what was going on. So there's a variety of things. We have really worked as we've spent time with those sources to make sure that we feature the experience of local people. Sometimes you have those missionary sources, but with the exception of when it's very first starting <laughs> yeah. and we're getting the missionaries you know, that sometimes the missionaries are the main character in how the church started. Other times it's members of the church who moved to that country, right? Missionaries come oh, second. Okay. Yeah. Um, or somebody who just read literature and sent requests, right? But in the cases where where missionaries are first, we'll, we'll kind of feature them. After that, even if the missionary gave us the source, we try to really focus selectively on what was important to this member character, right? Okay. You know, some of the techniques of narrative, right, that I learned to to bring out that experience. But yeah, there's a, there's a wide variety of sources on global Mormon history. There hasn't been as much scholarly work on it yet. There's definitely some, but I think that's maybe the next phase of where our scholarship needs to go is into diving a little bit deeper to how we've spent a lot of times with time with our own origins, but how do other histories intersect with our history is a place where we definitely need to do more. And this project has been sort of a helpful step in that process. Kind of the bridge in a way. Yeah, to, to kind of do an, an initial pass at, at identifying some of these stories. In some cases, you know, we're looking at scholars before who have said, oh, I just really admire this person. I'm going to write an article about him and that's the source. Yeah. Other times we don't have that luxury, right? And we're going directly through the archives on our own to try and identify oh, who's important, who, or, or, or representative of some pattern. So you are going to be working on this project for some time to come it sounds like this is got there's so much information to keep creating and filling with the exception of the United States where we still need to figure out how I mean doing one <laughs> sure overview for the whole country given the very different regional histories that's kind of a back burner at this point we'll have to figure out what to do with that but with the exception of that I would expect over the next few very few years I forget the exact goal and completion date, but we'll be done with the rest of the world, right? I mean, we, we've got a work process and we've already, in a way, the, the public launch, right, recently is the capstone of a lot of groundwork oh, in imagine. advance. So you'll see these rolling out reasonably quickly and roughly if you were called on a mission now, by the time you get home, it's all there, right? <laughs> uh, there you go, yeah. So, Which could still be a very rewarding exploration right. into that history. Um, yeah, yeah. I think for if you're serving a mission now or as a returned missionary, it'd be very interesting yeah. to go back and look at. But yeah, that's that's kind of where where this project is. And, you know, we, we anticipate that that'll be one step. What I hope is that as many missionaries as can, a critical mass. I would love it if every missionary would read what's in the Gospel Library app for them now for their country because I think it's so valuable. I think for a few missionaries, that'll be a gateway to more reading. Okay. And I know, you know, in my mission, I feel like I ended up playing a valuable role as somebody who was more interested in history. Like you say, when there are these sense that like, why are they doing things that yeah. way? Right? We don't understand it. And some people where their initial response was to feel frustrated or have some sort of condescending attitudes, yeah. feel a little superior. It happened. I feel like I, over the course of my mission, was able to step into a role where I could help other people move beyond that, right? And help sort of initiate them and say, okay, this may seem strange to you, but 
here's some things you might not know, and kind of be a missionary who within my district, within my zone, could bring other people the greater appreciation for this culture that was hosting them and and be that bridge forward. So I hope, my guess would be, the people who are listening to your missionary <laughs> podcast, right? Like that's that's a certain type of yeah. diligent missionary who wants to be prepared, who wants to be the best. And one thing I would say to you is I hope that you not only can become a little bit familiar with the culture and history of the place where you're going through this and other tools, but then be kind of kind of minister to your fellow missionaries, yeah. right? And help them get this appreciation. And having it in the Gospel Library app well, it's, where it's accessible on your mission is a nice resource so that you can even pull that up and say, hey, in your morning study, right, as you're on the bus, this is a place you can go and spend some time and just just think a little bit yeah. about about these things and and where these people are coming from. We have two examples, very big examples right now in the church of wanting to make sure that we feel more unified as a people. There was the 40th anniversary of the priesthood. Yeah, the the official declaration too that extended the priesthood. With the the whole idea of be one, right? We're trying to be one. We've also got this new hymn book that's being put together that's supposed to be a global hymn book. Yep. And we're seeing this need to make sure that we as members of the church recognize that we are part of a, of a global community that has a very wide range of lived experiences as to what brought them to be in the church. And it's fascinating. Right. It's the gathering of Israel. Yeah. Well, and I think it is a process of growth. I've heard missionary work in general compared to sort of the metaphor of a seed okay where you have to figure out every every church that's ever tried missionary work has had to figure out what's that husk on the outside of the seed right that was maybe the culture that you first came to this revelation in and what's the part that's going to grow and sprout right and learning to separate and there have definitely been times, right, as I've researched sort of missionary work around the world through the history of the church, sometimes we we try to just export the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Here's the culture we have and the gospel we have, and we don't know how they're intertwined, and we're just going to try to give it all to you, yeah. right? Versus the times where they're able to separate out a little bit more and let that core, right, that base part of the seed sprout in different soil. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's what the hymn book is trying to do and say, here's a core message that give us some different musical styles, right? Give us some different imagery and metaphors. And and definitely, um, I really loved, if you didn't get a chance to see that B1 celebration, I think it's Fantastic. really nice uh, storytelling in that sort of pageant format. I think it may be the best kind of pageant uh, if it fits into that genre that the church has ever done. Yeah, it's um, pretty good. But tells a story in a way that that speaks maybe to different cultures and is answering different questions, slightly different questions than sometimes we, we phrase. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think as you learn to do that and have the flexibility to meet people where they are as you go and teach the gospel and say, okay, what what are the questions you have? What's the culture you have? And how do those questions, those cultural strengths, how, do, how does our gospel, right, and those core truths of our gospel speak to those instead of saying, right, come and, <laughs> and understand and this truth to, on my terms. Right. You need to, to learn not to do that. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for this project, and I'm excited to go dive into. You got two of my family countries in this project: Italy and Lithuania. Oh wow! So I'm, I'm going to get right <laughs> into it. Galliettis early. Huh? 
So thank you very much for coming in and introducing the project to me. And I'm hoping that, of course, everybody goes out and checks and rechecks back in on the app for new countries that come online. You said every month is yeah, to be Yeah, every expected. month you should expect a few new releases. Excellent. And again, that can be found in the Gospel Library app under Church History. Go to the Global History section, and uh, we'll put a link to the app in case you don't have it already, but I highly doubt that. But uh, thank you again, James, for coming on and, and sharing this, and as well as your, your mission experiences, which were valuable as well. It's been a pleasure, and thank you to any listeners who are taking the time to really deliberately prepare for a mission. Yeah. And for LES Mission Cast, once again, it's Sean Rapier from the Latter-day Lives podcast. My guest on the show this week is Corey Andrews. Corey is one of the founders of High Five Live, where every single night they've got a very short devotional where you can get just inspired and uplifted Go to Facebook, search for High Five Live. It is so inspiring and just fantastic. And Corey has a really great story from his mission for us. Corey? Yeah. So I finished my mission papers and and got them all turned in. I, I waited my whole life and so excited to be a missionary and uh, was finishing up my papers on a Sunday evening and turning them in. I just completed my uh, interview with the stake president and my dad came up and he said, hey, I got some bad news. And I said, "What? what's wrong? And he said, uh, President Hinckley just passed away. Mm. And it's kind of weird, but I was I was devastated because yeah. he was the prophet of my youth, and I'd always imagined it that his name would be at the bottom. I don't know why that meant so much to oh, me. Oh yeah, but no, I'd always wanted his name at the bottom, and so I was I was a little hurt uh, mm. at that moment. So I, you know, they went in, and I kind of went through this wrestle and of wait, why am I really doing this? Mm. Why am I really doing this? And does it really matter the name at the bottom? And and uh, went a couple weeks and it ended up being Valentine's Day of 2008 mm. when I uh, we got home as a family and there it was in the mailbox and I jumped out <laughs> of the car, was so excited, ran in and sat down and just stared at it for an uncomfortably long amount of time. My parents were like, okay, let's, it's time. Let's, let's open it. it. Yeah. <laughs> And so I was like, okay, I'll finally open it. But then I said, hey, can I say a prayer real quick? And they said, sure. Yeah. And so we kneeled down as a family, and and I don't remember what I said exactly, but something to the point, to the fact of, can I know that I'm being called by a prophet of God? Mm. So I stood up, opened the call letter, I pulled it out, and the first thing I saw at the bottom was was the name at the bottom, and it was Thomas S. Monson. And in that moment, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that Thomas S. Monson was a prophet. Wow. And uh, it just this power uh, filled my heart, and and I, I I wanted to find out where I, where I was going, but in some ways it didn't matter because I knew that I was being called by a prophet of God. So finally, I look up and I see Roseville, California, and my dad says, "I knew it. I knew you were going to California." And I said, "Yeah, whatever." <laughs> and he he said, "But what language are you speaking? English or Spanish?" And I said, oh, "I don't know." So I go, I look a little bit further down, and and I see this word that I've never seen before in my life. And it's spelled H-M-O-N-G. And I said, I, I don't know what this word is. And my family's like, what? You don't know? And I said, H-M-H-A-M-O-N-G? And they're like, Hamong, what is that? I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, it, it's a typo. Like, I just got this mission call and it's got Thomas S. Monson's name on the yeah. bottom. I'm going to have to send it back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I, I, we ended up figuring out, I called my best friend and I said, hey, guess where I'm going? And he said, 
California. And I said, how did you get, uh, whatever. Okay, you guessed that, but you'll never guess my language. And because I had said that, he's like, okay, what's the language? He said, Mong. And I said, oh, that's how you say it. Mong. Your friend knew. <laughs> he guessed. I don't know That's how. amazing. He guessed. He's like, I don't know. You just said it seemed like it was a hard language. And I was like, oh, Mong, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's an Asian language. And so I end up going and, and looking it up and finding out that it is an, an Asian language that's just incredible and the, a people that just have a, a rich culture. And uh, and so I went out on my mission, tried to learn Hmong. It was crazy, <laughs> a tonal language with eight tones and, and uh, really tough. But um, just loved my experience. And time after time out there as a missionary, I, I had uh, that witness renewed in my heart that I was called by a prophet of God to be with these people at this time. And, and uh, I just love the Hmong people. I love my mission. I love the Hmong language. It's so beautiful. Can I, can I do some Hmong real quick? Can, can, I was going to ask you to close <laughs> us out with some Hmong. <laughs> maybe... Uh, Maybe I'll should I bear my testimony? That would be, I'll, I'll bear oh, a quick I would testimony. love to hear your testimony in Hmong. Here we go. Gupati Yesu Keta Yapitu Kyashing. Tianerupe Shadai. Gupatia Tavacha Lupe. Tia Gupatia Panda Mamong. Yavachetelu. Tia Gu Haitita Ta Tsuyatsujan on the Pitijuis Kitalumpe Kajong. Amen. Amen. It's been a while since I've spoken long, so I think I closed the way you're supposed to close the prayer, but that's okay. <laughs> that is awesome. Corey, what a fascinating, fascinating mission. And it just goes to show you, uh, anywhere in the world, there are God's children, and yeah. He is going to find a way to speak to them and teach them. Thank you so much for sharing that just awesome, <laughs> awesome mission call story and mission story with us. Thank you. For Sean. the LDS Mission Cast, I'm Sean Rapier. We will have links to High Five Live on Facebook, as well as directions on how to find the Global Histories portion of the Gospel Libraries app. My thank you to James Goldberg for coming in, as well as Sean Rapier and Corey Andrews for their Latter-day Lives segment. Again, congratulations to Sean and the Latter-day Lives podcast for one year of their show. Thank you for listening to LDS Mission Cast, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Make sure to follow LDS Mission Cast on Facebook and Instagram. Stay tuned, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of LDS Mission Cast.